Dear God, I, I just lift up every person here, and it's not an accident that we're here today. Lord, I just invite your spirit to do his work. It may be to convict, it may be to challenge, it may be to comfort, it may be to encourage. And we just pray that you would do your work among us. Lord, help us to be a body who represents both the truth and grace, that we walk that out well, that we are people of your mercy, that we offer to this world good news. We just ask this and ask for your blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen. When we think about dangerous places, you might think of a war-torn country. You might think of a neighborhood that's uh, filled with gangs going at each other. But one of the most dangerous places in America since 1973 and Roe versus Wade is a mother's womb. Now, God graciously and amazingly reversed that decision, but what that did was throw it back to the states. And so, for instance, in Alaska, nothing changed. In some states, it radically changed, and the number of abortions went way down, and so that's to be celebrated, and that's wonderful. Uh, but we need to understand that this problem of abortion is massive. It's hard to wrap your mind around a number like, he said, 63 million. I'm going to use a little older number, 62 million, and I want to share with you something, just an illustration to help you comprehend since Roe versus Wade in the United States, 62 million deaths. That is the population of Georgia, plus the population of Michigan, plus the population of Virginia, plus the population of Nebraska, Nevada, Iowa, South Dakota, Rhode Island, Arizona, Oregon, Kansas, Vermont, Massachusetts, Mississippi, and Alaska. Try to comprehend that. Think about how a holy God feels about that. His most basic first gift he gives us is human life. And this is how we have responded. The pro-life position is very simple. Life begins at conception, and the unborn baby is fully human. A baby in the womb is the same as the baby in your arms that you're holding. How God looks at the unborn child, he already shared it, but Psalm 139, 13 through 16, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I won't read all of it, but we are his masterpiece, each and every one of us. And the Christian worldview affirms the sanctity, the sacredness of human life. It is worthy of protection. One author said this about abortion. Abortion is an affront to God's authority as creator, an assault on God's work in creation, and an attack on God's relationship with the unborn. It is a massive scar on the conscience and psyche of this nation. We live literally in a culture of death. And so what can we do about abortion? Let me give you just a few things we can do. Number one is pray. And that is not some Christian platitude. That is the greatest thing we can do. Ending abortion is a God-sized task. It is not something I can do. It is not something you can do. It is not something we can do, honestly. And so we need God to act. And so we need to be people of prayer about this. 
Mark Batterson says, anything God can do, prayer can do. And I think the overturning of Roe versus Wade is one of those astounding answers to prayer. I just, I think it's God acting. Jesus once said in John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And so we need to continue to pray that this would end. The second idea is we need to share the truth. And the video talked about this. We cannot be silent about this. I get that it's uncomfortable. I get that it's awkward. I understand that in a group this size, there are multiple women who have had abortions. There are multiple men who have maybe paid for or urged or coerced someone to have an abortion. I get that. I understand that. But we're still a community of truth. And it's part of our job to call people to repentance. Why are children aborted? About 1% of the time, it's a victim of incest or rape. Obviously, those are the very hard cases. We see answers like 66% say they could not afford a child. 75% say that um, a child would interfere with their lives at this time. You know, obviously, people give more than one answer. But we need to come alongside people and help them so that some of these answers that they're giving can be deflated. Often it's thrown out to us, well, you pro-life people just don't have abortions, don't, don't do it. You know, but pro-choice for the rest of us, it's all about freedom. I want you to stop and think about this. David Platt points it out, I think it, it's helpful. He, says, he said, we aren't pro-choice about rape. We aren't pro-choice about burglary. We aren't pro-choice about kidnapping children. Why should we be pro-choice about killing them? Even some Christians don't get it. Many who self-identify as Christians have abortions. So this is something that we need to be talking about in our faith family, in our community. I hope that we're a place that when someone has, say, sex outside of marriage and they find themselves in a position where it's embarrassing or it's not doesn't fit with your plan for your life, that we would be a place of grace, a place of truth, a place where you felt you could talk to somebody about it. But we do need to be a place of truth. It's interesting, even a liberal city like San Francisco, that, that Bay Area, um, about 85% of women who see, you know, they see a picture of their baby. You know, they go to a, like what we have here, find out free clinic, and they, they get to see a picture of their baby. About 85% of these women will decide to carry the baby to term. There's like a blindness. But science helps open the eyes to this. We have value because we are made in the image of God. The doctor said it over and over again. Genesis 1.27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We have value because of who made us. Because his stamp is upon each of us, no matter who we are. Sometimes when we think about the value of something, we think about the cost it's valuable because a high price has been paid for it. No higher price has been paid for anything than for us, for our salvation. God the Father sent God the Son who volunteered to offer his life so that we could be forgiven and set free. 
In 1 Corinthians 6.20, it says you were bought at a price. In Mark 10.45, it says, For even the Son of Man, that's speaking of Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God the Son took on our sin and experienced the wrath of God for it so that we could be forgiven. We have been bought at a price. We are told by the culture that abortion empowers women. It does not. This is a complete lie. In so many cultures, like for instance, for a long time, China had a one-child policy. I believe they've switched to two. You're allowed two children now. But so often, they would abort the female because they wanted to keep the family name. In India, it costs more because of how they do it and uh, to have a daughter and to you know, give money at the marriage and all of that. And so, so often, if they find out, if the family's struggling, they'll find out if this is a female baby, they will abort. Abortion is one of the greatest enemies of women, of females in the world. It's a huge civil rights issue. It's an attack on the disabled. A pediatric geneticist at Boston's Children's Hospital reported that an estimated 92% of all women who receive a prenatal diagnosis of Down syndrome on their child choose to end their pregnancies, choose to have an abortion. 92%. Because their child has this piece of brokenness. We're all broken ever since the fall. So we're to share the truth. We're to offer fierce mercy. And so you have to ask yourself, are you somebody that someone in crisis would feel comfortable coming to talk to? I hope I am. I hope we are. I hope we communicate that. Psalm 103, 11 through 13 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for us, for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. If a person will repent, God offers his forgiveness. I love the phrase, Fierce Mercy. It's the name of Abby Johnson's book. There's another phrase I was reading. I don't remember where I read it, but tenacious compassion. We're to be people of fierce mercy and tenacious compassion. That's what we should offer people. An agape love that makes no distinction between friend or enemy, that loves our enemies, Jesus once said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I think one of the classic examples of this in American history, we just had Martin Luther King Day, and I went and got a, a biography about him. It's like 500 pages long. I'm about 200 pages in. Fascinating read. Was put in jail 29 times, you know, not justified. But one of the early stories was when they were doing the boycott over the buses, Rosa Parks, you remember that story, she wouldn't move uh, for white passengers. And Martin Luther King Jr. was a leader in that particular boycott. And a racist came 
and his wife and his new baby were in their home, and a friend was visiting. Martin Luther King Jr. was out at a meeting about this boycott, and this racist came and threw a homemade bomb on their porch. No one was killed, but the porch was destroyed. It was terrifying. It was frightening. Can you imagine? And he stood on that destroyed porch with his wife, Coretta, holding their baby, and hundreds of African-American neighbors gathered around him, many of them armed. What was he going to say? Part of what he said was this. We want to love our enemies. I want you to love our enemies. Be good to them. Love them and let them know you love them. It would be easy for us to look at those who perform abortions, those who work in that industry, those who profit from it, and say they are enemies. But if they are enemies, what does Jesus tell us to do? To love our enemies. This is a fierce mercy. This is a tenacious compassion. But this is what we're called to. And so we need to walk this out, this radical mercy. And I believe his mercy is on the move I really appreciate, I'm reading a book by Abby Johnson. She had been a director of a Planned Parenthood clinic. She had personally had two abortions. She participated in who knows how many as far as being, you know, being on staff and, and helping make all that happen. She ends up leaving the abortion industry, coming to Christ, ends up a pro-life advocate now, has founded her organization. And I love what happened. The clinic, the building where her clinic was, this place of death, this place of death was bought by a pro-life group, 40 Days of Life, and transformed into their national office. I mean, what a great picture of redemption. And the former director is now pro-life advocate. She has a ministry. Her website's um, www.abortionworker.com. And her specific calling, um, I think it's fascinating. Her specific calling, she names her organization, and then there were none. And the idea is that she wants to reach back into the abortion industry and find those that will leave it. Those whose hearts are open. Those who heart, whose hearts are open to repentance and walking out of that horrific industry. I thought it's interesting one of the things she does because she was that person. She kind of knows what connects. And so she's written a couple very brief messages and she um, has volunteers sit down and copy those messages, hand copy them and put them on hundreds of postcards and she has the addresses of all of these abortion clinics across the country and they mail them to them, these messages of hope and truth and forgiveness and she says, every time she does this, some people respond. Some workers want to leave. They want a new life. They want a new direction. And I love that. That is a fierce mercy. That is a tenacious compassion. She's grabbed hold of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, which says, When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. 
What a great injustice to be murdered because you're inconvenient. Who's more oppressed than a baby who is helpless, defenseless, voiceless, and their own mother is so distraught, so upset, that she goes to a doctor to have you executed? And in our country, who's more fatherless than a baby in the womb? Fathers have no rights, no say over this. And so she has stepped into this and helped to walk this out. I appreciate what she says as she works with these workers that want to leave, that want to change, that want to be different. She said of them, they are haunted by memories, weighed down with guilt, held captive by shame, but God's mercy, his tender compassion, and his healing touch shatters the power of those change. She does these healing retreats with them where she will sit down with them and they'll talk through um, these the guilt and all the shame and the difficulties. Part of it is a call to repentance. I think it's phase two as part of it as she, as she meets with these workers, has them figure out in their job how did they help, you know, when the clinic was open and doing abortions, like their role, how many children's lives were taken. And she said they need to own that number. They need to face that number. We have to face what we do and then turn to God in repentance and ask for his forgiveness. And then she encourages them to rehumanize one of those babies that were lost. She said everybody, every worker who comes to her has one story that stands out. And they name that child and they write a letter to that child and they, in a sense, rehumanize that child. And many of them will go on. There's a national memorial for the unborn where thousands of little brass nameplates of children that were lost to abortion are put up. And often her uh, workers from Planned Parenthood and other abortion clinics will, as part of their process and grief and ownership of what they have done, will, will do that and memorialize that child. But understand, no one is beyond the grace of God. Always hear that you're welcome at the foot of the cross. All of us, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've become. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus died on that cross for everything you've ever done everything I've ever done. Abby Johnson was befriended by a pro-lifer and Christian named Karen. One time a reporter asked Karen, what was Abby like back when she, you know, before she became pro-life? How nasty was she, you know, and like was trying to get, a, you know, a story there. And Abby said, I always appreciate what Karen said. Karen said, I don't remember that person. She is now a new creation in Christ. I don't talk about her past. I only want to talk about her future. And I love that. That is a fierce mercy. And we need to look at people through a lens of mercy and to offer them the new creation that is offered in Jesus Christ. We are called to love people well. Tell them the truth, absolutely, but love them well. The final idea is we're to act 
a story that's seared into my mind from years ago. I know I've shared it. I read it from Erwin Lutzer. And there was this German church, and they were right there on the railroad line. It was during the Second World War. And when a, when a train would come into town, it would blow its whistle. And there was a train every Sunday morning, and the train would come by the church, and they would hear after the whistle, shortly after, they would hear screams and cries, and it was the Jews being hauled by these cars like cattle to the death camps, to the Nazi camps of World War II. And here's this little church. And when this Christian talked about it, he said, it just tormented us as we would hear these screams going by what our country was doing. And somebody said, well, what, what did you do? How did you respond? How did you deal with it? And he said, you know, when we heard the whistle, we knew it was about to be there. And he said, we made sure that we sang louder. We're in our own holocaust. Are we singing louder? Are we doing anything? What are you doing? This is the social, moral justice issue of our day. Just as other Christians were in the middle of the, you know, fighting against slavery. What are you doing? How loudly are you singing? Proverbs 24, verse 11 and 12, not speaking about abortion, but I think it applies, says, rescue those being led away to death, holding back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? Psalm 82, 4 says, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So make sure you act. We can all vote. I don't know if you knew this, Planned Parenthood invests lots of money, thousands of dollars on our school board races, our city council races. I mean, they are in the thick of it. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if someone votes, if someone you know, runs for office, city council, school board, governor, senator, and they look at 63 million murders of babies and they say, I'm for that? How dare you vote for them? How dare you? Don't do it. It is not the only issue when we vote, but it's the gateway issue. If someone's for that, I don't look at any other issue. If someone's against it, then we look at other things that we care about. 63 million deaths. I was reading one source that said in the last major election that 40% of evangelical Christians did not vote. I hope that's not true. We really going to sit on our hands? But it's not just voting. I see Christians fostering children. That's powerful. That's part of an ethic of life. I see Christians adopt children. That's powerful. That's doing something. 
There are probably many, many children in this community that need fostering or adopted. This local care net center, the Find Out Free Clinic, you're going to hear from Trish for a very brief few minutes what they do. They need volunteers in different roles. Could you do something? What part can I play? What part can you play in rescuing the weakest among us? Those babies have no rights, no voice. What can we do? The big idea this morning is simple. Human life matters. It's God's first gift to us. It's God's first gift. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do about it? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for each person here. Lord, just meet them where they're at. There may be guilt. Lord, give grace. Give forgiveness. Lord, there may be apathy. Prick the conscience. Convict. Call to action. Lord, rise up in us a compassion for the marginalized. A compassion for not just babies, but for those enslaved in an industry that executes children for profit. Lord, help us to see the image of God in everyone and to offer that tenacious compassion and fierce mercy, the good news of the gospel. Lord, this is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.